0: This week, I entitled The Golden Rule. What is the golden rule? Everybody know? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Excellent. Would you take a look at the quote there on the top of your page by Frederick Faber? He said this. Kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. Do you believe that? Indeed, it's. You all have access to kindness. You all have the ability to love on someone else and draw them towards your Savior. And yet you still consistently assume that it's the preachers, the people with the eloquence, that are the only ones that say that is incorrect. You distribute the kindness and love of Christ. You don't need any professional teacher to do that. You have the ability, the Spirit within you, to go out and share the gospel with anyone and everyone. Second quote. Is by Chuck Colson. He said this. Our presence in a place of need is more powerful than a thousand sermons. Boy, is that true. That is so true. Anybody have the opportunity to see Idol Gives Back? Anybody watch that? All right. A number of you got a chance to see that. I got a chance to see that. That's where American Idol basically runs a telethon is really what kind of happens. They get a bunch of stars together that go out into all these different areas, all these different charities, and they raise money. Well, they raise a lot of money. They raise millions and millions of dollars. Well, here's what's interesting. You may not know much about Bono, the singer of U2, which for many, many years, decades, was the largest band in the world. Whether you care about what the guy believes or how he talks or not... When he showed up in the village that was devastated by AIDS, I tell you, they were paying attention to him. Where were we? We were not there. He was there in their place of need. And his presence communicated something. A lot of you have been sending me emails on Oprah and showing how she's tied into Eckhart Tolle, the Buddhist guy, and how she's off base. Here's the thing. You need to understand that her giving and her presence in places of need continues to give her an audience. She will consistently have people listen to what she has to say because she's out meeting needs when other people aren't. And we need to understand the power of being there. The power of helping somebody that is hurting is tremendous. And we believers who know the gospel have got to get out there and be there when someone's hurting. Usually we show up too late or we show up and nothing's going on. When will we have our pulse on the hurting of the United States? At least here in America. And when will we have our pulse on the hurting of the world? That's why we're trying to highlight this year of world impact and the year of doing stuff. We're trying to read that pulse and respond to it. And do something about these needs.
1: If you haven't already,
0: turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, page 826. I know we're studying the book of Proverbs, but I wanted to jump for a moment and show you something unusual. If you have been a believer for any length of time, you realize that there's a tension within your body. The tension is old you versus new you. The flesh that is in you, the wickedness that is in you contrasted with what Jesus is drawing you towards and the Holy Spirit in you. And there's new alarms that are set off. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's back there redialing your conscience. And you're feeling this tension of going, wait a second, I don't want to do that, but yet I keep finding myself doing that. This other stuff that I'm not supposed to be involved in, I'm going over and doing that. You know, Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 and following. He talked a lot about this battle between flesh and spirit how do we begin to give more sway to god and begin to shove aside the old nature part of that is in godly living part of that is in wise living and so it's no wonder that as i began to formulate this material for this lesson i began to gather all these verses into logical categories And I gathered a whole bunch and I said, Well, what's the main theme here? And it was love. I went, All right, okay, that's cool. Put love up there. And then I gathered a bunch more and I said, Well, what's the heart of this message? Oh, it's joy. Okay, I'll slide that one over there. Well, what's the next one? Well it's peace and patience. Oh, that's weird. Okay, I'm starting to see a pattern develop here. And I went, wait a second, this is the fruit of the spirit. This is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You see that list? That's what we're about to read. Would you read along with me? Galatians chapter five, verse 13. You, my brothers, Paul said to the church of Galatia, we're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. The entire law, meaning the. Torah or the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict. With each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked a lot about that negative behavior patterns in the book of Proverbs. So you say, that's what I shouldn't do. What should I do? That's the next verse, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Would you pray with me this morning for the word? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning that we might be able to drink from your word and begin to understand your nature and be morphed into you a little bit more. And Father, when we remove ourselves from this building, as we walk out, may our faces reflect the glory that is in you. And may we look to the world a little bit more like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, a lot of what I examine in Scripture has to do with interpersonal relationships. As a matter of fact, whether you want to look through all of Paul's writings, that's the majority of what he's talking about. It's how we treat other people. It's a big deal. As I look at the first passage we're about to study in Proverbs this morning, it's in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Why don't you turn there with me and just kind of listen to me. We immediately open up to like a combo pack of things that God hates. As I look at this stuff and you go, wait a minute, God hates something. That's kind of extreme language, don't you think? That is kind of extreme language. As a matter of fact, I did a quick Bible study through a concordance, to try to find out everywhere in the Bible that says that God hates something. And I only found six passages, this being one of them. In other words, there's only five other places in the Bible that it ever says that God hates something. So he reserves that topic for stuff that's serious. And he's about to tell you there are seven things that he hates. Now, what are they? Well, let me give you a quick... Kind of foreshadowing. In all of the six things that God hates, five of the six have to do with interpersonal workings. Five of the six have to do with how you treat other people like garbage. The only one that's not like that is the time in Malachi when God said, excuse me, the time in Amos when God said, I hate your church. I hate that you got, your hearts are not in it. I hate your religious festivals. I hate how you guys worship because you're treating me with contempt. That's the only other time. All the other five have to do with you hurting somebody else. So we take a look at this verse now and we find out what is it that God dislikes so severely. Proverbs six sixteen, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Number one, haughty eyes. What are haughty eyes? It's pride, Yeah. Number two, a lying tongue. That's pretty clear. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Six, a false witness who pours out lies. And seven, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. How many of those are about how you treat other people? At least five out of the, or six out of the seven, yeah? Here's the deal. The fill in the blank right in front of you makes it as simple as I could possibly make it. You may want to fill that out. God takes it personally how you treat people. God takes it personally how you treat other people. Why? Well, let's just use an analogy that I used not too many weeks ago. It's simply the way I view it is a neighborhood. Let's say that you are the fun parent in the neighborhood. all All the other kids... They dig you. I don't know if it's because your family has all the sweets at your house and they all want to hang out with you and eat the cookies and stuff. Or whether or not they just like you because you're fun and you'll play with them and their parents aren't around. But let's say somehow they really, really like you and so they say to you, what can we do for you? You're always really cool to have us over to your house and you're always nice, to us. what can we do for you? And let's say you have kids. You realize they don't have anything that you want. You're an adult. There are a bunch of kids. You're thinking, I don't need anything from you guys. How about this? How about you play with my kids? How about when my kids are out in the neighborhood, you take care of them? You love on them. That sounds pretty practical. Okay, let's say it a different way. Let's say that in that exact same neighborhood, all the kids love you, but they hate your kids. And they keep trying to kiss up to you, but they treat your kids like garbage. How much do you like those kids? Uh You wonder why God's doing the things that he's doing. God is saying, I am self-existent. I don't need anything from you. However, the way that you can love on me or the way that you can harm me is how you treat my children. So be very careful how you treat my kids. And that launches our lesson today. We begin with the concept of love in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 10. Verse 12, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that love is the hinge point of Christianity. As a matter of fact, Jesus was stopped and asked what the greatest commandment was, and he said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. I mean, you can sum up the whole Old Testament with one word, love. Easier said than done. But Proverbs begins to highlight little elements of love on how we can love other people and why it's so important. We find that in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. It says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. You see, love is a calming influence to heal. It's not a cover-up like a conspiracy. It's a covering like a blanket over someone on a cold day. So here's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that we're in a broken world and we're messed up folks and we hurt each other unknowingly all the time. We're like a bunch of porcupines trying to hang out together, right? And we keep going, stop poking me. It's like, well, I'm trying. You know, it's kind of like I'm trying to hug it. Come here, come here. You know, all these just spines sticking out of you. And the idea is you keep going, man, why are you always irritating me? I don't know. I'm a porcupine. I have no other way to do it. The idea is that we just largely cause irritation to each other because we don't know how to handle it right all the time. But when you know that someone loves you, when someone goes out of their way to care on you, you don't care about all those little prickly things. You know, it's like you have a close friend that has really, really reached out to you. And they consistently pour out their love to you. And you say, you know what? Sometimes you hurt my feelings. But it's okay, because I know that we're friends. I know that you love me. See, I believe that love is like a soothing balm over all the things of this world that hurt so badly. You go, well, love, look, that's hard. Well, kind of. Let me give you one of my most common teachings that I try to teach everybody. As a matter of fact, it came back how common it really was when I did a wedding recently. For Mark and Michelle. I was at their wedding and a young gal was part, um, uh, friends of the family and she came up to me and she said, Hey, Pastor Lance, it's been a while since I've seen you. And I almost didn't recognize her. It had been so long. And she goes, If you don't make apples, you might not be an apple tree. And I went, No way. She remembered that from years ago. Here's the deal. When we talk about fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, these things, you need to understand how a tree bears fruit. Fruit is the natural production of a healthy tree. An apple tree does not have to go, got to make apples, 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 pear. Dang it. Where the heck did that come from? You understand what I'm saying? In the same way, the believer shouldn't have to go righteousness, 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 wickedness. Dang it! Where would that come from? Listen, we as believers, if our root is healthy, if our root is tied to the Lord, we should naturally be producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that sort of thing. It's supposed to naturally flow out of us. Now, what we're supposed to remove is the pests and the disease that tries to eat and mar the fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? But inside of us, we should naturally have a desire and a leading towards being like Jesus. So when I talk about these things, are they difficult? Yes, in one way they are. But in another way, they're intensely natural to your new nature. You just need to allow the Holy Spirit to move through you more unhindered and begin to say more yes to God. And more note of self. Amen? Amen. The second one we dive into is the concept of joy. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 1530? If you ever want to do a fascinating word study, do it on the word joy or rejoice. And try to look in your Bible how many times the word joy or rejoice comes up in your Bible. It's extraordinary how often it shows up. It's all over the place. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I tell you the words of the Father so that your joy may be full. God wants you full of joy. Is that how you see the modern Christian church? Are we known as a joyful people? Are we known as a smiling bunch? Are we known as a happy crew? No, we're not. We're known as sour, dour, depressing folks. Every time we hang out together, it's all about crying about how much Satan is ruling the world. It's like everything we talk about. Oh, the world's going to hell. Oh, the political process. Everything's negative. You know, there's really no way we need a revival. Amen? Amen. Everything's sad. It's horrible. It's kind of like, what are you talking about? We are the ones who have been forgiven all. We are the ones who, for the rest of our lives, if we are under the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed and we are whiter than snow. We're the ones that have had guilt and shame removed away from us and we can't be happy. What in the world's going on? You know, I believe one of the key reasons that the world has such a hard time with the church is we all look so messed up. We all look so serious and dark about everything. Now, here's what's so funny. Contrast that with the Jewish people. Now, they're not exactly what you look at where they're always happy, but God mandated partying. you understand? Throughout their year, they had festivals. They had to party on that day or they'd be punished for it. Now, that's the discipline of partying (laughs) that he set out. And he goes, periodically, you will have fun. (laughs) Right? is that he set it out. This day, we're not working anymore. We're going to hang out, and we're going to dance, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to have a great time. Because he knew that if he did not systematically place in joy, then sin would have too strong of a lure. Think about it for a moment. Are you not tempted more towards sin when Christianity is dull and dry? If there is no joy emanating out of your life, then you look over the fence and go, how come they're having fun? How have we got it so wrong, so backwards in the church that we have no joy and somehow it looks like the world has more joy? The world should have happiness, which is periodic, temporary, circumstantial. But they should not have more joy than we do. Joy is our territory. We get joy, not them. But most of us have never notified our face. Right? Isn't that what you've heard? Isn't that the famous quote? And we don't look like we're full of joy. But let me explain the power of joy. Proverbs 15:30 A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Look at Proverbs 17:22. A cheerful heart is what? It's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When we as believers walk into a room, that room should brighten, not darken. Now, here's the thing. This is, unfortunately, this is where it kind of seems to fall. It falls into personality traits, and that's frustrating to me. You see, there are certain personalities that are more Tigger-oriented, You understand what I'm saying? These are the bouncy folks. You guys have heard me mention this before. I'm one of those living examples of Tigger, right? Where you bounce around, you're always smiling. Then there's the rabbits. Now, the rabbits are the people that are very focused, very driven, very um, task-oriented. They're the ones that can lead and make sure that everything's locked down and they will get the job done. The problem is, is that all the rabbits think all us Tiggers are a bunch of idiots, They look over and go, nice, naive young kid, look at him bounce around like that. Oh, when he grows up, he'll realize the world isn't so joyful. (laughs) Really? Let me explain something to you about how I handle myself. If you, I will tell you this, little deal. If you will sit down an hour and let me explain my life and worldview and you don't cry in an hour, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Listen, i got a rough world that I live in. i got a lot of pain that I carry. My choice to be positive and have a heart full of gratitude is just that, a choice. It's a discipline. You think I'm naive, I call you ignorant. Listen, God has done everything. And when I am laying in my bed at night, I want to be thankful that I have a bed. When I'm in my home, I'm thankful I have a home. If you want to stay in your home and complain about what you don't got, you miss the point. Our job is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and remind ourselves that Jesus has done everything for us. And that we don't sit around and constantly complain about what we do not have. I choose to be positive, not for this bogus power of positive thinking stuff that's all around the place. I don't believe in that at all. Does it help? Hey, whatever. I don't know if it floats your boat. That's great. I'm not buying it. It's not like I'm changing the universe by my little positive thinking. I'm positive because of what Jesus did for me. I am positive because of what he provides for me. I'm positive because he's done all the heavy lifting and I've got nothing to worry about. That is why I'm positive. And I would suggest that you may want to select what type of mood you want to dwell in. I'm not so sure you want to hang out in the depressive camp because it will eat you up from the inside out. We pick up on peace and patience. We move on to the next one. We have love, joy, peace, patience. We're in Proverbs 15.1. Would you turn with me there? A lot of what Proverbs talks about is controlling our tempers, controlling our anger. Why? Well, it impacts our society. How many wars have begun when someone was insulted? How many fistfights have broken out because someone's pride was irritated or someone's temper went off? How many families have been shattered because someone could not control their temper? Proverbs speaks greatly about the issue of controlling your temper. We pick up only one of them here in Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't make it worse. When someone pops off with an insult to you, your job is to catch it, understand it, spin it around, and return it back in a different sort. That's what you do. That's what you do as a believer. Our job is to diffuse situations and seek clarification on why it's happening. Not to react. Christians are not called in this world to live lives of reaction but proaction on making sure that we're doing what God asks us to do. The world should live in reaction. We should live purposefully. You understand what I'm saying? Proverbs 19:11 is very insightful on the issue. It says, "A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense." Let's try the first part first. A man's wisdom gives him patience. How exactly does that work? A man's wisdom gives him patience. Come on. So you get more wise. That means you get more patient. How does that happen? Well, it's actually very practical. Let me give you an example. If you're around me for any length of time in discipling, I will give you these analogies on how to look at the world. I have never met a secure person. I've only met insecure people. I've never met with anyone with it all together. I've only met people that have gaps in their life. I've only met broken people, not whole people. You see, to me, Jesus has reworked my view of the world. When I was growing up, a large part of my anxiety and fear and agoraphobia was I was afraid that everyone was out to get me. And then I grew up to realize nobody cared. (laughs) And I went, oh, well, that's more peaceful. Hey, then. Nobody has time to beat up a child. All right. Fantastic. The more I began to learn about human nature, the more I began to realize everybody's insecure, everybody's broken. And I went, wait a second, then why do I keep thinking that I'm in competition with them? Why do I feel like in some way that I have to go head to head with somebody else? If the world's messed up and the Satan's already beating on everybody else, why am I making it worse? You see, Jesus had a totally different perspective. Jesus, when he saw a crowd arriving in the desert, you remember this, all the disciples saw a problem. They went, oh, great. We're exhausted already. We don't have resources to minister to these people. Look at the huge herds that are coming to us. And what did Jesus see? It says he saw the people and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Is that how you see people? Or do you still see them as if they all have it together and you don't? Because as long as that's the case, you're going to get offended at them. How dare you treat me like that? Hold on a second. Why wouldn't they treat you like that? I'll give you another example. Let's say you're an animal lover. Which, by the way, I have a verse for you in a second. Here we go. Let's say you're an animal lover. And you're walking down the street and you look down an alleyway. And down that alleyway, you see a dog with a broken leg. And you go, oh my gosh, my heart is moved. I want to go minister to the animal with a broken leg. So you go down there and it's a big dog and it's got a broken leg. When you reach out to touch the broken leg, what happens? You get bit. Welcome to America. Everyone's a wounded animal. Of course they're going to bite you. That's what wounded animals do. Do you take it personally when the dog tries to bite you? Nope, because it's not about you. It's about their pain. They're afraid you're going to touch it. And guess why you're there? To touch it. (laughs) They're not even wrong in their assessment of you. You are a threat. You are a danger because you are highlighting their pain and they just want you to go away. That is the world in which we live in. Everybody around you is a wounded animal and they have all these needs and pains and hurts and you keep touching it. You keep talking about it. You keep highlighting it. You keep rubbing up against it. You keep bumping into it. All on accident, perhaps, but they will continue to snap. You have to remember not to take it personally. It's not about you. It's about the pain they're sharing with you. At that point, you have to back off and go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to touch that. Can I, can I help you out? But you have to have access. Someone has to grant you the ability to reach in. See, the more wisdom you have of human nature, the more patience you begin to have. Because you realize if Satan's been mean to them so long, they don't need Christians to be meaner. That you reach in and go, hold on, I'm going to try to help you. Is that all right? As your knowledge of the human nature grows, you begin to not be spurred by competition, but by compassion. Because you look out and you go, wow, you're really hurting, huh? You wouldn't have stabbed at me that big if you didn't have a problem. I had no idea. I'm sorry. I was just going through my day, man. I had no idea that that was going to hurt you. I totally apologize. Totally different way of viewing the world. One's competitive, one's compassionate. The second element says what? It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Real quick side note. Guys, those of you that somehow grew up with a a short temper and you explode on people, somehow you've grown up thinking that that's okay. Somehow you thought that was tough. Let me give you a quick snippet. We think you're an idiot. Here's why. Why? You stand up, and someone gets in your face, and you get right back in their face, and you act all tough and thinking that you're a big dog. You know what? It makes you look foolish. All the rest of us are hoping that you would just quiet down and go away. And you think that you're going to be the tough guy, and you're going to show everybody who's boss, and blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely inaccurate. Don't do that, because anyone can blow up. Anyone can go off on somebody else. Anyone can explode. That's not powerful. That's not amazing. That's not shocking. It just makes you look foolish. What is powerful is the people who, when they begin to explode, begin to turn it around, give it over to the Lord, calm down their jets, take a walk, and repackage it. Now, that is powerful. I'll tell you this. Jesus Christ is the most powerful man to ever walk this earth because He's God. And He walked through and took all the blows of the cross and never said a word. That's strength. You just going off and getting in fights is not impressive. It's foolish. But if someone fires off or flips you off or shouts at you out the window, what you screaming back makes you look intelligent? You just stoop down to their level and now you look like a fool as well. Uh, Proverbs 29.11 is our last teaching on the temper issue. Sometimes you can have all the information in the world and still you want to explode. Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives vent to his anger. Or a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Sometimes you need to channel it differently. I'm not talking about stuffing it. That's not healthy either. I'm talking about re-channeling it. That's healthy. And you know what? Maybe you do need to take a walk sometimes. And that's still respectable. Do you understand? Sometimes you need to count before you reply. That's respectable. Sometimes you need to go out for a drive because you're absolutely out of your mind. That's respectable. But exploding on your children and your family is not. We pick up the next one in the issue of kindness in Proverbs 20 verse 5. There are two elements of kindness that Proverbs seems to highlight. One is the idea of being nice to people. That's the obvious. The second one is watching out for the poor and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Now, the first one we find in Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Let me tell you what a good friend does. A good friend asks questions about how you're doing. You need to, when you approach your other friends, you need to go, hey, how you doing today? You all right? And actually mean it. You can't always go, gosh, when I hang out with my friends, I sure hope they ask how I'm doing. You can't always do that. That's just selfish. At some point, you've got to ask about them. And then, I learned this a lot from my dad. The idea was then, a wise man begins through a series of questions to draw out what is inside someone else's heart, allow them to lay it out on the table, that you might help them sift and sort their world. Give them options. Give them feedback. Help them see it clearly. Because most of you can solve your own issues... You just need somebody to be a sounding board. Good friends are patient to listen deeply and to allow you to speak what is in your heart. But kindness is more than just how it benefits you. Kindness is about justice for the poor. Kindness is about love on the poor. Kindness is about giving to the poor. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 14.31? Proverbs 14.31, you can kind of listen to my voice. Why are the poor near to the heart of God? Let me just ask you that real quick. Is there something inherently spiritual about poverty? No, there's not. It's not like the minute you go bankrupt, you're more righteous. That is not true. That's inaccurate. We have some weird view that somehow, oh, because they're more poor, that somehow they're more righteous. That is not true at all. You can be just as wicked poor as you can wealthy. You can be just as righteous poor as you can wealthy. Then why is God always spoken of as being near the heart of the poor? Simple answer, because of how we treat them. That's why. People treat wealthy people very nicely because of the possibility of options. People treat poor people poorly because of neediness. And we cast them aside. Let me give you a quick example on how I think this works. I was at my daughter's school at the beginning of the year, and I was doing some reading for the first grade. And so we were just reading stories during story time. And there's a little guy in our class, um, and I don't know if he has autism, Asperger's. He has some type of learning difficulty and much more of a social difficulty. And all the other kids don't hang out with him because he's awkward to get along with. So they will visibly all be in one herd, and then he's over here. So as we sat in this circle, he's by himself over here and everyone's gathered over here. And I began to realize they'll say right in front of him, no, he's weird. I don't want to hang out with him. Who do you think my heart immediately attached to? That little guy. Why? Because of how he was treated. It's not like he was inherently more attractive than any of the other kids. It's not like he was more lovable than any of the kids. Quite often, that's not the case. But because of the way they treated him, I automatically was attached to him. It's the same thing with the poor. God looks down and sees how we begin to treat people and goes, oh, wait a second. They don't have anyone. I got to shield them. And he comes in near to their heart. That's why he cares. As a matter of fact, it says it very blatantly here. Proverbs fourteen thirty one: He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Who's their maker? God. Who you messing with? God. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 29 7. You don't have to turn there, but you can listen. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. If you don't care about the hurting in our society or the poor in our society, there's only two reasons why ignorance or wickedness. And if you keep hanging out in this church, I'm going to remove the first option. That's only going to leave one. You understand what I'm saying? You can't be ignorant when you keep getting told. That only leaves one option. The righteous care about the hurting. And we need to be those types of folks. We pick up goodness in Proverbs 3.29. Proverbs 3.29. And by the way, if you're jotting down notes and you don't like animals, I want you to read Proverbs 12.10. There you go. Moving on. Proverbs 3.29 talks about goodness. Goodness is the part of us that God is transforming to love like he loves and to care about other people. It's the good when we do things that are right. The opposite of that is to harm someone or be rude to someone. There's a lot written in Proverbs about that. Proverbs 3.29 says, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. In other words, our job is not to make people's lives worse. We're not out there to cause harm. We're out there to bind up the wounded. But what's interesting is Christians sometimes have little ways of covering over how they harm other people. We have little tricks of the trade that make people still think that we're righteous when we're not. That is exposed in Proverbs 26:18. Proverbs 26:18 says this: Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Oh, isn't that our little trick of the trade? If we ever get exposed as to harming somebody else, we'll just say what? No, I was only kidding. No, you weren't. Now, there's a lot of joking that is honest, just joking. There's a lot of teasing that's honestly just teasing. There's nothing more than that. But sometimes we're using that as a sin eraser. You just hurt somebody else, so you throw in the line, I was only kidding, and you weren't. God knows your heart. There's one other element that we have to do as believers, and it's in Proverbs 24.11. Proverbs 24.11, understand that we as Christians have the truth, and if we have the truth, then that means we're the only ones with a working compass. We're the only ones with a map to go home if all of us were lost in the desert and one of us had a map to go home, don't you think they have a responsibility to what? Share the map. It says in Proverbs twenty four eleven, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. But if you say, I knew nothing about it, does not he who weighs the heart, meaning God, perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? And will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Our job is to rescue. Our job sometimes is to leave the 99 and go for the one straggler, the one wanderer. Our job is to see those that are lost and seek if we can't save. Understand you must break out of the mentality of your own world. And look and see that people are wandering aimlessly around you. Please provide them guidance. We pick it up the issue of faithfulness in Proverbs 27.10. Faithfulness means being there for people and following through on what you say. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend or the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away here's the point there's sometimes when Christians are called to be there for people that are hurting and I know you don't have the time and you don't have the emotional energy to deal with their needs right now but sometimes you just gotta do it sometimes you gotta say even though the whole world has abandoned you I'm not going anywhere and I will sit with you in your pain that's what we do in the issue of gentleness we find a very uh, obvious one in Proverbs 29:23. Proverbs 29:23 when I look at gentleness I see the issue of humility. The opposite of humility is pride. And I want to give you some quick instruction on what humility means. Proverbs 29:23 A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Let me explain something that we have a little bit wrong in our Christian view today. We believe somehow that humility means degrading ourselves. We believe that somehow that in order to be humble, when someone gives us a compliment, we need to push it off. We believe that somehow the idea of being depressed about something is somehow humble. That's not correct. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely actually, actually a little bit rude because when someone comes to give you a compliment, they're going out on a limb. And for you to shut them down and go, oh, don't look at me. Look at God. That's just awkward. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I get this a lot. This is one of those things where people come up and they go, they go, hey, you did a great sermon today. Well, what am I supposed to say? Do I go, eh, it's only God. It's only God. They're like, really? Because God had a couple points that I didn't agree with. See, this is what's so funny is we're so quick to throw a little Christian word on top of it. And that makes us somehow humble. So if somebody comes up to you and they just go, man, that's a nice car. It's God. It's God. You know, it's all God. And they're like, really? God's in debt. That's so weird. <laughs> okay. Be very careful about pushing everything off on God. Quit trying to put little Christian terms on it and making it look like that's humble. That's not humble. See, here's the deal. You need to realize that humility is not degrading yourself. When you degrade yourself, you're saying that God didn't make good stuff. When you consistently go, no, I'm not good at that. No, I'm not good at that. No, I'm not good at that. That's not humility. That's just being sad. You need to realize that you can also say, God has done an amazing work in me. God's done some amazing things. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. Do you understand the difference? Because here's the deal. Was Jesus humble? Yes. So when he walked around and someone said, You're the son of God, did he go, Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess I'm the son of God. Somebody's got to be. I mean. <laughs> come on. What did Jesus do? You better believe in the Son of God. You ready to worship? Let's go. He did not degrade himself, he was just other focused. See, you can be amazed at what God has done within you. But what I would hope that our mindsets are is that when someone's gives us a compliment, it actually catches us off guard. For example, if somebody comes up and they go, you look beautiful today. And you go, really? Right on. Thanks. Because the whole time, even though you got ready this morning trying to look beautiful, you hadn't thought about it all day. And then they suddenly brought it back to your attention. The idea is that you're focused so much on all the people around you that you've forgotten totally about what's going on with you. And they surprise you. As we wrap up with the last one, it's the issue of self-control. Proverbs twenty I'm just going to highlight this because it's one example. Proverbs is full of issues where you really want to do something, but you just shouldn't. You've got to say no. You may have all the best intentions in the world, but you need to control yourself. Proverbs 26:17 Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. You guys, please don't butt in where you're not wanted. Christians have a tendency to do this. We think that somehow we're the thought police and we can jump in all the time and oh, hold on. A Christian's here, you know, and suddenly we're going to straighten everything out. If they did not invite you in, don't walk in there because it's going to bite you. That's what happens. Okay? And there's other ones. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you'll vomit. That's pretty clear, don't you think? That was Okay, we gotta watch the excess. Okay. The point is, is that there's elements of us that we're really gonna wanna get involved in something and at some point we have to just discipline ourselves to say, I'm okay now. Thank you. I'm enough. Listen, as we close up today, there's one last passage of general wisdom about relationships that I need you to see before you go. It's in Proverbs chapter 29:25. Would you turn with me there as we close? I think this is one that we may all need to read. We may need to tack it up on our mirror. We may need to put it in our car or keep it in our wallet. Some personalities will be more susceptible to this than others. But I believe that we're all in danger. Proverbs 29:25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Listen, to some people, this is called approval addiction. If you are constantly looking for other human beings to give you value, you'll always be disappointed. If you are always wanting someone else to tell you that you're beautiful, tell me that I'm funny, tell me that I'm intelligent, tell me that I'm good, tell me that I'm worthwhile, you're asking the wrong people. Human beings are too caught up in their own issues to give you a straight answer. Human beings are too clueless to know your real value. You're asking the wrong person. There is only one person that can give you the answer to that question, and that is God. At some point in our lives, we must mature to the place where we care more about what God says about us than what our friends say about us. At some point, and I don't know how that transition is going to happen for you, but at some point, you have to be okay with just what God says. As opposed to being validated by another fallen human being. And I'll tell you this, from a personality like mine, in a job like I have, that's very, very hard. As I've told you before, I want everyone to love me. I want everyone to think that I'm the best. I want everyone to think that I have no problems and that I'm perfect. Not doing a good job, but I want that. (laughs) But there comes a time when God will ask me to say things, to teach things, to do things that people don't like, but they need. And I must chase after God, not man. And I need to be okay with taking a hit for that. And as a believer, so do you you have to realize that the praise of God is the only thing that matters amen let's close in